Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smeza de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. We've been uh, on a little vacation, uh, but we missed you all. If you don't already follow us, keep up with us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you want to follow me, I'm at JS Deleon on Twitter. Uh, that's J-S-D-E-L-E-O-N. You can also pitch a story or volunteer with the podcast by reaching out to us on our website, paseomedia.org. To watch the interview portions of our episodes, check out our YouTube channel. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. Help us get to 100 subscribers, por favor. We'd really appreciate that. For this week's episode, we're doing a little something different. No interview, just a little Puerto Rican history lesson. This past Tuesday was National Borinqueneers Day, so we're going to answer the question, who were the Borinqueneers? But first, here's a few news stories to keep an eye on. In Puerto Rico status news, this comes from The Hill, so thank you to our friends over at The Hill. For the first time this past Wednesday, the House Natural Resources Committee held hearings on two competing bills which could lead to statehood or independence or another status for Puerto Rico. The bills are the PR Self-Determination Act and the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act. In a unique move, the House Natural Resources Committee decided to weigh both bills in one hearing, a reflection of a Democratic leadership that's avoiding taking sides on this tightrope of an issue, um, which is especially interesting since the Democrats hold the White House and they hold uh, the Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. So um, going back to this hearing, supporters of both bills were unanimous in opposition of Puerto Rico maintaining its current status, a territorial arrangement that denies the island voting representation in Congress, among other travesties. It was a four-hour hearing that at times was very confrontational and left clear that Puerto Ricans from throughout the political spectrum want some change on the status of La Isla. In the hearing, the statehood bills received a lot of Republican support, while the PR Self-Determination Act continues to grow support amongst grassroots organizations at over 100 different orgs that are in support of it. If you want to learn more about both bills, definitely go back and listen to our last episode. We talked about both bills, what's in them, and their differences. We also talked to members of the research team at Data for Progress on their findings of surveying uh, likely voters in Puerto Rico on their thoughts on what Puerto Rico's status should be. A couple of other quick shout outs to Puerto Ricans in the diaspora. This one comes from the Orlando Sentinel. The days of Orlando's Stonewall Jackson Road may be numbered. City officials signaled Monday that the road's name would change to Roberto Clemente Road after a middle school on the road was also renamed from the Confederate general to the Puerto Rican baseball legend, or who I consider to be the GOAT. 
Uh, Commissioners Monday unanimously approved meeting minutes from its municipal planning board meeting from March, which okayed the name change, setting up the drafting of an ordinance to change the name. Um, Again, Roberto Clemente, perfect person to name the street after. I actually don't know if he's from Orlando, but shoot, Florida has like 1.1 million Boricuas living in it. That's a number that rivals the number of Boricuas in New York. They're pretty much neck and neck. We could live in a world where Florida overtakes New York as the mecca of the Puerto Rican diaspora. So it'll be interesting to see if other Puerto Rican communities throughout the diaspora begin to name roads after the baseball legend. The next shout out is for Illinois, the home of where we are based on Chicago's historic Paseo Boricua. Friend of the show, Senator Cristina Pasione Zayas presented state designated cultural district legislation to help bring about Puerto Rico town. It passed unanimously and heads to the Illinois Senate for a vote. If it passes, the area around and including Paseo Boricua will have a number of exciting possibilities, including arts-based economic development and community revitalization. Being named a state cultural district provides state incentives, financial or otherwise, to encourage further cultural, community, and economic development. Finally, Puerto Rico's health secretary announced that all public and private schools on La Isla would close for two weeks amid a surge in COVID-19 cases. I know there are a number of reasons for this, but man, tourists have been an awful contributor to this surge. Not wearing masks, respecting health guidelines, you name it. It's awful and disturbing to see. So tourists, don't be pendejos and think twice before vacationing in PR. Tourism is important to the island's economy, but not at the expense of people's lives. Think twice, people. Think twice. Okay, let's talk about the Borinqueneers. Now, I put together this information from a a number of different sources, so I want to give credit to those. Um, I found an unnamed documentary on the Borinqueneers. I'm sure there is a name out there, but the clips I was able to find had no label on them. So I know they're a part of a really good documentary. I just can't find it. But if I had to guess, it's probably called the Borinqueneers. I also took information from NPR and the Center for Puerto Rican Studies. So credit to them for helping me craft uh, this little uh, history lesson for you all on who the Borinqueneers were. This past Tuesday, like I said before, uh, April 13th, was the first ever National Borinqueneers Day. The day came about after the U.S. Congress voted to override a veto by then-President Donald Trump on a defense bill that also created a national holiday to honor the Borinqueneers. So, like I said earlier, who were the Borinqueneers? Well, I'll tell you. The Borinqueneers were the 65th Infantry Regiment in the U.S. Army, the only Latinx infantry of its kind. The Puerto Rican infantry, the Borinqueneers, comprised largely of Boricua soldiers and was named after the pre-colonial Taino name for Puerto Rico, Borinquen. Members of the 65th Infantry fought in World War I, World War II, and in the Korean War. The Borinqueneers originated in the form of a battalion of Puerto Rican volunteers on May 20th, 1899, in the aftermath of the Spanish-American War. They were regarded as colonial troops, part of the first, quote-unquote, American colonial army. By 1908, the unit officially became part of the U.S. Army and was known as the Puerto Rican Regiment. As I mentioned before, the Borinqueneers served in World War I. The regiment was sent to the Canal Zone in Panama to protect the U.S. In 1920, the unit's name changed from the Puerto Rican Regiment to the 65th Infantry Regiment. In World War II, they served in North Africa and Europe, but not as frontline troops. 
Military authorities kept the Borinqueneers far from the front line as the military followed a policy of racial segregation in which combat roles, with a few exceptions, were reserved for white troops. These non-combat assignments meant that the Borinqueneers suffered very few casualties throughout that war. This also resulted in something I found to be really interesting, as the Borinqueneers underwent all kinds of training while being kept from combat, and by World War II's end, the 65th was a supremely trained and well-disciplined combat regiment. After World War II, the U.S. military began to shrink as the Army demobilized service members. On June 24, 1950, war broke out in Korea and the U.S. military was unprepared and hit setback after setback. The Borinqueneers were then mobilized and ordered to Korea to provide reinforcement. This meant the Borinqueneers were going to war as first-line combat troops as part of the Army's 3rd Infantry Division. To put this in perspective, the majority of the 61,000 Puerto Ricans who fought in the Korean War came from La Isla and served with the Borinqueneers. The chance that they may be sent to the 65th Infantry motivated thousands of Puerto Ricans to volunteer for service both in the United States and on La Isla. The newspapers in Puerto Rico were filled with stories and pictures of the soldiers and there were ceremonies held before their departure. La Isla's press wrote about the Puerto Rican soldiers and what their actions meant for Puerto Rico on a daily basis. Throughout the war, Governor Luis Muñoz Marín often made reference to the men of the 65th in his speeches. The crest of the 65th Infantry was displayed in public buses and train cars. Plazas and avenues were named to honor them. Returning soldiers, especially the wounded, were received as heroes and treated to public receptions by government officials. Governor Muñoz Marín attended the burials of the fallen soldiers and sent his recorded speeches to the troops in Korea. While the Borinqueneers received acclaim in Puerto Rico, their members endured years of unfair treatment and discrimination while fighting for the United States. As I touched on earlier, they had to fight on two fronts. On one end, they fought opposing forces in Korea, and on the other, they had to fight discrimination, oftentimes coming from military leadership. Here's a clip from a documentary on the Borinqueneers that gives an example of how military leadership looked at them at the time. Its commander was a West Point graduate, William W. Harris, who later recalled how he felt when first appointed to the 65th. I was outraged, he said, at what I considered being sent to pasture for two years to command what the Pentagon brass referred to as a rum and Coca-Cola outfit. But Commander Harris soon came to speak of the men of the 65th in glowing terms, saying they were the best soldiers he had ever seen and that he was prepared to go with them into any battle with anybody. Being in the military is tough enough as it is, and I can only imagine what these men had to go through fighting for a country and leaders that looked at them as second-class citizens. As many BIPOC people have to do, they had to prove themselves two and three times over in order to be seen as equals. Despite the racism and discrimination the Borinqueneers faced, they dedicated and sacrificed their lives to fighting for the U.S. Here's the proof. Throughout the conflict, 3,540 Puerto Ricans became casualties of the war, of whom 747 were killed in action. Let that sink in for a second, because that makes 
the Korean War, the deadliest war in Puerto Rican history. The role of the Borinquineers in Korea was as important as the Navajo Code Talkers, Tuskegee Airmen, and Nisei Regiment's role in World War II in destroying racial prejudices holding that non-whites were inferior men, unfit for combat, and undeserving of equality and self-determination and self-rule. Some people in the U.S. recognize the significance of their service too. Here's a clip of a Borinquineer, Sergeant First Class Pablo Delgado, um, sharing his experience coming back home from the Korean War. Llegó, y llegamos a San Francisco, de Jerezo, Corea. Además de las escalletas, las donas, y este, habían hasta besos, porque la esposa de los, de los que nosotros sacamos, recubrimos las retiradas, nos daban besos, nos abrazaban. Yo creo que ni yo de besos, ni yo estoy, ok. If you don't understand Spanish, no worries. Basically, Sergeant First Class Pablo Delgado was recounting his experience coming back to San Francisco from Korea and how, in addition to things like coffee and donuts, um, welcoming uh, soldiers back to the States, there was also the wives of American soldiers who would give them hugs and kisses and thank them for saving their husbands. So uh, it's nice to hear that acknowledgement that there were at least some people who realized at that time just how significant the sacrifices of the Borinquineers were. Speaking of recognition, in 2016, the Borinquineers finally received the recognition they deserved when Congress, with bipartisan support, voted for, and President Barack Obama signed into law, the awarding of the Congressional Gold Medal to the Borinquineers. Here's a clip of what then-President Obama had to say about them at the ceremony, awarding them the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh, they are the 65th Infantry Regime, U.S. Army. Uh, they are also known as uh, the Borinquineers. Uh, I got to get this right. Borinquineers? Yes. See? I practiced before I came out. Uh, segregation set them apart from their fellow soldiers, but their courage made them legendary. They earned thousands of medals for their service in Korea. Uh, today, we're going to add to those accolades by awarding these soldiers one of the uh, one of the country's highest civilian honors, the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh, one of them, uh, I'm sure, would be very proud to see his son James uh, end up in the White House someday. Uh, James uh, Albino has been serving in my administration since 2009, both here in the White House and at the Department of Homeland Security. I know this is a proud day for his family. Uh, Only a handful of military units have ever received this award, and only one other Hispanic American has received this award, uh, Roberto Clemente. That's pretty good company. So there's a proud uh, day for the Borinquineers uh, and their families. It's a proud day for all those whose lives they saved and whose freedom they defended. It's a proud day for all Americans, uh, especially Hispanic Americans who've made extraordinary contributions to our country. Uh, many through their military service. So uh, on behalf of uh, the American people, uh, we want to thank uh, all the Borinquineers for their ex extraordinary service. You've earned a hallowed place in our history. Uh, and to those members of the 65th Infantry Regiment who are here with us today, uh, I'd ask you to uh, please stand and raise your hand so we can recognize you for your service. That last stat at the end was especially impressive. Uh, good company for sure. I know we mentioned Roberto Clemente earlier in the show, um, but wow. I mean, 
it, it was pretty amazing at the time to see them recognized with such a high honor. Uh, but the Congressional Gold Medal isn't the only award the Bodinkineers received. Listen to these numbers. So we already said they received one Congressional Gold Medal. Their members have also received one Medal of Honor, 10 Distinguished Service Crosses, 256 Silver Stars, 606 Bronze Stars, and 2,771 Purple Hearts. The actions of the Borinquineers during the Korean War elevated them to iconic status, living proof of what Puerto Ricans could do when given the opportunity, showing they were second to none, inferior to no one. It goes without saying, but the Borinquineers were something special, y'all, and we owe them a debt of gratitude for everything they sacrificed for us and for Puerto Rico. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, great. If you didn't, that's okay too. Let us know either way, podcast at gmail.com or at podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, we'd love to know what you think of this episode. If you think we should do a few more of these, mix it up a little bit and sprinkle them in in between our episodes with interviews. Uh, we'd love to hear that feedback. So don't be shy. Let us know. Stay tuned next week for an all-new episode of the podcast. We welcome black Puerto Rican performer, storyteller, and comic Melissa Dupre to the show. You may have seen her on stage or on your TVs in shows like Chicago PD, Empire, and currently in a recurring role as Sarah Ortiz in Grey's Anatomy. As always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org, to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, Connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast.gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. 
Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican.